Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Spiritual Therapy for Teens on the um, Spiritual Teen Talk radio show. Nice to have you here with us this morning. My name is Tracy Boxel, and I'm your host. Um, again, I am the author of How to Talk Spirituality with Your Teens which you can get on Amazon Kindle, so please go check it out. Um, Today, I actually have a guest with me on the show. I'm very excited. Um, Her name is Marilyn K. Vieira. She lives here in Southern California with me as well, and she is a licensed clinical social worker. And so I thought, let's have Marilyn come on today and talk a little bit about traditional therapy with teens, as well as how she incorporates what I've dubbed spiritual therapy into her practice. So, Marilyn, are you there on the line? Hi, Tracy. Good morning. Hi. Hello. Okay, just so you all know, (laughs) good, full disclosure, Marilyn is also um, someone that I call friend. So, (laughs) we're just having a little tea and chatting this morning, and she, I'm going to get her professional uh, opinions and, and information, and here I am as, you know, just a mom asking for help and, and wanting to share my life as well. Um, Marilyn also is a mom of two teenage daughters, so usually we just talk about boys from my end, so Marilyn's going to talk about the teenage girls from her end today, so I'm super excited about that. <laughs> um, so let's just, um, I'm going to start off by letting Marilyn just tell you a little bit about herself as um, a social worker and her background. So Marilyn, go ahead and take it away. Hi, Tracy. Thank you for that. I am a counselor in, working in private practice in Mission Viejo. And um, I'd say about 50% of my practice is working with teenagers and adolescents, helping them go through the different difficulties that they have. Sometimes it's dealing with their parents or how to stay motivated when they're really struggling at school, how to work through some of the peer pressures and the social challenges that are out there um, on Instagram and Snapchat. And the other part of my practice is working with a lot of college students that are trying to find their way, um, trying to find more of what their path is and their identity. And um, oftentimes I'm working with couples as well on how to save their marriage, how to work on recreating new marriages when their prior marriage that they've been through isn't working anymore. And so helping um, people start to create the lives that they want to be able to have and um, feel that contentment and that satisfaction uh, every day. That's cool. I I didn't really know that you were working with college students so much. That's that's great because I feel like that's such an in between age, right? They're still kind of teenagers, you know, in their brains, and um, there's exactly. just that you know legally they're an adult. That's <laughs> kind of the, the only difference. Doing, they're still doing that dance with their parents, right? The, right. Uh, I don't yeah. remember that trash out but I'm 21 or 18 and I want to do whatever I want to do and why do you have to keep tabs on me so yeah a lot of confusion sometimes a little fear of growing up uh-huh cool okay well let's touch on that today because I noticed um on your website one of the quotes that you had on there is growing up isn't easy and kids need tools to get along at home and school and I thought that perfectly summed up um kind of this terminology that I'm using, spiritual therapy for teens. Um, So let's just dive right into that first off the bat. And so we can kind of let everybody, you know, know exactly what kind of things you do. Um, Let's talk about how do you incorporate spirituality um, along with your traditional therapy in a session with teens? Well, I really let my patients decide on what they want to talk about, what they're struggling with. Um, of course, sometimes with the younger kids, if they're, they're really young, you know, with four to eight or nine, it's, they're less insightful, so I'll have to guide the conversations a little bit more. But mm-hmm. it, really is, it really is talking more about um, what their concerns are with maybe they're having dilemmas with their moral dilemmas or their, their ethics or they have these personal conflicts and they're not sure how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really... I really, it's something that sometimes is kind of vague. They don't really know we're really talking about spiritual therapy. It just kind of overlaps with regular counseling and regular traditional counseling that I do. I tend to, I specialize in doing more cognitive behavioral therapy. So that could be a little bit more 
concrete. It's a little bit more um, logical and, mm -hmm. and um, trying to help people that are overly emotional with usually having a lot of anxiety or a lot of depression. So it's really using the more logical part of their brain so they could prevent themselves from having such intense panic attack or, or fears or paralyzation from not being able to move forward. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that's interesting because you mentioned, um, you know, with kids coming into teens, that's kind of the, the gist of, you know, my book and, and the show that I do here talking about how that when it, it's so easy to talk spirituality with kids because they're so open and receptive and they're creative and they believe in fairies and leprechauns and angels and that kind of stuff. So I can imagine that it would be a little bit easier for you to bring in certain things like um, even little meditations and stuff like that with some of your really young patients. Um, but then they get to be teenagers and then sometimes that's when we get, we get the pushback because they are right. just naturally trying to separate from us as parents and then, like, well, I don't believe that anymore. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, absolutely. and being open to what they want to say, hear, hearing what they have to say, because a lot of times as parents, we want to jump in and say, no, that's not right. Or that's not, that's not how you don't know how it really goes. And we might unknowingly uh, discount or minimize their feelings, but really being trained to listen to what they have to hear. So, they feel like they can start forming their own opinions and their own thoughts in the world and be okay with that. Yeah. Do you find that the teenagers you work with um, tend to um, be more open with you because you're not the parent and you are a professional? Do you, do you tend to get a, almost an immediate sense of trust or does it really take a while to build that? It's, it's good. It's easy to work through in that first session. You know, if someone's really anxious and tends to be a little bit shy, they might need a little bit more time to warm up and I'll do whatever they need to do to be comfortable. If that means having their mom on the couch with them, um, if that means splitting the time, half time with mom, half time by themselves. Some kids that are really young and nervous, they might bring out some toys or games that we could play Legos while we're talking so they don't really realize that they're talking sometimes. Oh, um, right. Yeah. But the teenagers, that works with they, kids, but probably not as well with teenagers, right? They're pretty, yeah, they're pretty yeah, sharp. Yeah. Well, teenagers are funny. You could talk about music. You could talk about what their favorite Netflix shows are. And you could really talk about which character they might identify with or what songs speak to what they're experiencing in their life. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a really good tip for parents to do. If you're just trying to get your kids to open up to you really um, getting them to chat about the stuff that interests them. And then before you know it, you know, they're opening it up and they're sharing things with you that they probably wouldn't have shared if you were just like, Hey, how's your day? You know? Exactly. And really as parents being able to ask really open-ended questions, like, what do you think about that? What do you think she should do? And I, I call it kind of playing dumb. Like you don't know what's going on. Like, how do you think Johnny should handle that situation or what do you think of her reaction on the TV show? Just to hear their views, to hear if they could be problem solving, hearing how they might perceive it. So I know what areas they might need to, I might need to be helping and supporting them with as a parent. Right. 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 I just heard about a new show on Netflix. It's called 13. Watching. Uh, isn't it? thir uh, it's something. Yes, I'm uh, watching that. Oh, you're I'm watching, watching it. What, what's the full name yeah. of it? It's 13 something. I think it's 13 and watching. Or I can't remember 13. Anyways, that, that show about suicide and yes. Um, yeah. Cause I've heard some parents say, Hey, this is something I've been sitting down with my kids and watching. It's difficult subject matter and it can be uncomfortable, but a great way to just kind of open up a dialogue and be like, Hey, just so you know, we can always talk about this. You know, this kind of stuff's happening out there. You might be seeing it. You might not be seeing it. Um, but with you're putting a show like that in front of both of you, it's just automatically going to open a dialogue between you and your kids. So I could kind of see that as well, working in your therapy where you're putting something out there that, um, they might, it's kind of in their, on their, their level, let's put it that way, right. you know, on their teenage interest level. Um, right. So then that, that makes them, would make them want to, I think, open up to you and share a little bit more. Um, do you, yeah, do you talk personalized. about. It's a little bit more externalized, right? We're talking about the character. We're talking about what's going on oh. the outside. So they don't feel like they're being, you know, spied on by mom. It's externalized and it's outside of them. Oh, very good. That's a good point to make. So um, do you have any little, let's say, techniques that you work in with um, kids that you're 
we're working with, such as meditation or um, do you, you ever talk about, you know, mala beads, anything really on the spirituality level with them when you're giving them tools to work on at home? Well, one of the things that I'll do with some kids, particularly when they're anxious, um, is doing like a guided meditation with them. So really mm-hmm. teaching them how to breathe, how to breathe in a way that their brain will start telling their body that it could calm down and that they're safe and mm-hmm. they're okay. So they can start to experience a little bit more of what that piece is in their own body. So mm-hmm. once they are able to recognize what that feels like when they're relaxed and when they're calm, then they can start to incorporate. Maybe you might feel like that when you're walking down by the beach. Maybe you might feel like that when you're sitting with your pets and you're rubbing your your doggy's fur. Maybe you might experience that when you're feeling really close to a friend or really connected to somebody. Right. And and sometimes it's about, you know, helping them just to see what is important for them, right? What makes them what what makes them feel good in terms of either connecting with somebody or maybe it's prayer. A lot of times I like to use affirmations for people. Um, okay. Affirmations really allow them to kind of snap out of maybe what their depression thinking or their, I call it the tricky thoughts, what their anxiety might be saying in their head. So having an affirmation really helps them to focus on more letting go and creating more of what they want. Like I'm calm and safe. I'm okay. Not in any danger. Right. Well, I know you and I, you and I talk a lot about um, energy as well. I know you're, you're someone that kind of, that believes in a, a universal energy source. Do you work, incorporate that as well in with your um, patients? Yeah, I do. Um, sometimes, you know, I, I really have to get a feel and see how open different kids are, but sometimes they'll talk in ways that lets me know that this is the child I need to be talking about this. Usually they'll present in counseling as having, you know, really highly sensory issues of, you know, really sensitive to sound, really overwhelmed with um, a loud, crowded classroom, um, Mm -hmm. wanting to be barefoot all the time. All these sensory issues kind of tell me that I'm working with a highly sensitive child. And often those highly sensitive child, sometimes we'll talk about all of our senses, but also add what the sixth sense is like. Do you ever have a way of feeling something, knowing something, even though you don't know how you know that? Just Mm -hmm. a gut feeling. Right. And that really allows them to say, yeah, that's why maybe I feel nervous with these group of kids, or that's why maybe I feel scared with these people. I don't feel like they're accepting to help them be really aware of that in their own body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually been um, reading a book about empaths. Um, I kind of knew mm-hmm. that two of my kids um, probably were empaths. And just because of the situations at school that's been going on with one of my kids, I'm, I'm it's really been triggering like something is going on there. And so that's kind of why I got this book. And I'm really learning about it and seeing like how much empathy is and how much he absorbs by the energy and that's around him and the way he just... I'm reading the book so that I can learn some tools to teach him so that he can learn to kind of deal with that. Cause it's, it's not something that you get rid of, you know, if you are um, an empath, um, right. it's just, it's who you are. And um, actually the, what I was reading that they estimate probably about 20% of the population are empaths. So that's, that's a lot right. of people out there. Right. That's and um yeah, and 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 they and they're you know they've been always been labeled as sensitive and and yeah they are and there's nothing wrong with that and there's not really anything abnormal about it if you're talking about 20 percent of the population <laughs> that's a lot of people <laughs> well, it's a good thing it's really misunderstood I think um, these groups yes. of kids are really misunderstood they could be misunderstood for being withdrawn for being um, not social for being uh, you know just not participating for being overly sensitive or strong-willed, and I think a big part of it is really educating parents especially to understand what that is when your child is fighting you because they don't want to wear those pants because they don't like the waistband, or when your child is fighting you (laughs) because they don't want to wear socks with their tennis shoes because it bothers them. The little line on their toes bothers them, right? Uh And so really 
helping parents to see that because parents may interpret that as being a defiant kid that's just uncooperative and unwilling and not recognizing that those sensory issues really create a lot of stress for them. It could be the sounds create a lot of noise pollution for them. It could be people touching up against them creates so much overstimulation that they need more space around them. It could be, I'm, I'm really frustrated and now I'm sitting in this hot car, so I'm really going to have a meltdown right now because I can't take it anymore. And um, that really helps kids to recognize that they're not a bad person internally. This is just how I'm hardwired. And I think an important part with kids is also letting them know how to, how to manage that. How, when you're with different kinds of environments and energy, how are you going to cleanse yourself from that? And a big portion of these empaths are also introverts. So one of the things about introverts is after being at a hectic day at school or work, it's important for them to kind of come back home and maybe be in their room with their door shut, which a lot of teens do, and sometimes just recharge their batteries or sometimes just listening to their music to recharge their batteries so they can refuel and recharge their batteries to go back out into that hectic world or the demanding world or the hard classroom. Right, right. And, you know, I, I wish that parents would really start opening up to the idea of how um, it's a good thing if you want to um, go to therapy with your kid or send your kid to therapy for a little bit, because it's, it's not a stigma. It's not a bad thing. It's to help you understand what you're, you know, what's going on with your child. And, you know, some parents can misinterpret, um, you know, why that, why oh, my child dropped out of sports and doesn't want to do that more and they, they, they don't want to be social and they don't want to go out and they're getting worried that they're going to be one of these kids that, you know, you hear about is trying to, um, you know, cause some problems at the, you know, their school, you know, with a bomb or shootings or something like that, that parents kind of freak out. But if you are actually engaging someone else to say, okay, this is going on with my kid and I, I don't understand what's going on, they can really learn a lot from therapy and learn that there is absolutely nothing wrong with your child. Your child doesn't want to play sports anymore because they can't stand the energy of a coach yelling at them. Like that's just too much for them. Like it, right. it's not that it's not that they, you know, don't want to play basketball or whatever. They just can't deal with um, someone in their face screaming at them. Like, it's just not what they can handle. So, and, and, and there's nothing. a highly sensitive child, that would be absolutely torture because their interpretation yeah. coach that's yelling to probably motivate them and get them expired, inspired and give them a little, nice little kick in the butt, that what uh-huh. they're probably interpreting those kids is that why are you so mad at me why are you picking on me why are you yelling at me what did I do wrong yeah exactly they internalize it so much they they turn it into a a, like a personal character assassination of themselves Mm -hmm. um so while we're talking about parents are you do you find that the parents uh, of the kids that you um have as patients are receptive when you send them home with little things that are what you might call spiritual techniques to work on stuff um or do you have to really kind of feel out the parent and know if they're either too religious and they don't they don't want you to go that direction or they have absolutely no spiritual belief whatsoever and they don't want you to you know to go that direction I haven't run into any of those problems because I'm not imposing what my views are or saying this is how we should believe what heaven is or what, what spirituality is. And I'm probably not using that word spirituality. So they often don't recognize that sometimes Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's something else. And so I'll often write down a little bit of homework, like maybe here's how I want you to be thinking about this difficult situation instead, or why don't we tell the tricky thoughts that to leave me alone and I'm okay. And I don't have to worry about what people think about me. And so it's not necessarily so the parents see that it's spirituality. It's just, um, it probably looks more like coping skills for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that that would be a delicate dance that you would have to play being, um, you know, a licensed therapist as opposed to, um, let's say, a church 
counselor, you know, a teen counselor at a, at a church, something like that. That's you, you can't, you couldn't go to that extreme of spirituality because you are a quote, you know, professional, right? You, if they bring that up, right, and they mm-hmm. letting me know this is what their belief is, or they're having a conflict with something in their church or a family value of the family, then yeah, then we talk about that. What those dilemmas would be, but oftentimes spirituality might be teaching them that that means it's self-love and self-care that spirituality might mean that I'm taking the time to love myself so I better eat my healthy food to nourish my mind and nourish my body at lunchtime instead of just running off to go play handball yeah uh-huh gotcha well um tell me what do you think let's say girls versus boys and being um, open and receptive to therapy with you do you see any difference between the two sexes you know, I think nowadays it's it's pretty it's pretty much right down the middle. Um, I often have parents calling me up and saying, you know, my son's really asking to go into counseling or really needs to talk to someone. And you wouldn't think that because I know adult men, it takes them a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder for them. They see therapy sometimes as someone telling them what to do or someone imposing yeah. their views on them. And <laughs> that's, it, true. It, that's really not what it is. I mean, some people uh-huh. might like a directive approach and will say, you know, tell me what to do or tell me how I should handle this. And so it, it just kind of depends with um, every person. But mm-hmm. often that's gotcha. one of the talks that comes up with, with teens in regards to spirituality has to do with them experiencing some type of grief or loss. And that, um, and also when kids are about 12 to 14, they start thinking a little bit more about death and what happens when we die and am I going to be with my family again or is there going to be nothing? And so they start sometimes having a little bit of anxiety at 12, 13, 14. And it's really about death anxiety because they're starting to recognize their separateness from their parents. They're starting to recognize the cycle of life as they're learning more in science. And so sometimes they'll, those are things that they're speaking about, but often the parents don't know because it's not one of those things that kids will naturally bring up. Right. And we we have forgotten a lot about being teenagers, that's for sure. <laughs> some, <laughs> some things stick with yeah. us forever, forever, but there's little things like that that we, we forgot, like how crazy our hormones were and what they did to us at that age because we probably didn't even realize what the hormones were doing to us um so yeah so let's let's move into and talk about since you brought that up how about some of the predominant issues that you're seeing in the teens that you um counsel these days so a lot of the kids that come in to see me are really struggling with um how to be socially accepted there's so much um fears as to what will people think of me? Well, if I say this, will they think I'm stupid? If I wear this, will they think I look like an idiot? And there's so much concern about that. And I really attribute a lot of that to social media when they're constantly, you know, filming their breakfast for, you know, just a snapshot <laughs> of what they're, what they're doing with their hair or their nails, right? And so they're so on, they're so video and on all the time and mm-hmm. eager to see how, how many likes they're going to get. Are people going to comment on that? Do people think I'm funny? That they really believe that this is like this sort of 24-7, that everyone's looking at them and judging their clothes and really cares. But most of the time, people are so self-absorbed in their own world, they really don't have time to be going into that much depth. So it's a lot of insecurities that they have, a lot of desire to be popular, especially in middle school. I think middle school is harder than um, high school in that sense, because they really want to be popular. They really want to be in a clique or a group. And one of the things that I'll share in therapy with um, adolescents is recognizing that. Do you know that you really want to be popular? And and to be popular, do you know that 60% of the kids that are popular, they start smoking pot earlier. They start drinking a little bit earlier. They start having sexual experiences earlier. Is that really what you want? Because that's what you're signing up for when you really want to be popular and really helping them realize that it comes with a lot of these peer pressures where they think it's just the, the glamour and the glitz, like, like watching the Kardashians, but it's more than that. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, there's, there's, um, the shadow side to everything. Right. And, um, you know, sometimes they feel like they're living in the shadow if they're not the popular one, but there's always the shadow side, you know, to the popular one's life as well. Things are, are not that perfect. Um, e-entertainment show life, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which yeah, I can that's see that's good. definitely something that has not changed over the year. We've all, um, 
always had those issues with popularity and and, and those desires, but I, I can see that what social media has done to today's teens has to be so much harder to deal with than what we dealt with. Um, yeah, do you find that, of, that kids, oh, sorry, go ahead. They, they have a lot of questions too about, you know, relationships. How do I deal with some of these challenges if I'm in a fight with my best friend or if I disagree? And so sometimes it's also teaching them a little bit more about the boundaries and what a healthy relationship is, right? That a healthy relationship is more or less 50-50, 60-40 of giving and receiving and back and forth. I support you. You're there for me. And um, sometimes a lot of kids, because they're not established with assertiveness yet, they, they shove down their feelings of when they're resentful or when somebody's being too bossy with them and they don't like it. They might, it might come out in a passive aggressive way or they might just ignore them and run away from it and not know how to deal with some of these situations. So sometimes it's how to set boundaries and so you don't you could feel good about the relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, do you do you find that any of the teens are coming in on their own, just expressing to their parents that they need some help, or is it mostly just parent initiated that they're bringing them no, in? No, a lot of kids are asking for help. A lot of kids are going to their school counselors. A lot of kids are saying, "I need somebody to talk to." So I think you know it's much more acceptable with every generation, and we're more, much more tolerant of all new things. And so kids today are much more open to doing that they'll be saying i need to see marilyn i need to see marilyn could you get me in for an appointment so oh, I, I that's think great it, it is it yeah. is right? because it, it takes a village to raise these kids of ours right whether it's a mentor as a coach or your favorite teacher it, it takes the village and so we want to have them accessing a lot of adults or people that are important or even if it's a big brother or the big sister neighbor down the street we want them to be connecting with more people so they can have more ideas and more well-rounded views. Mm-hmm. Now, do you feel like when you see um, teens in your office that um, that you work, let's say you're working with them on confidence, because that's a lot, a lot of what the insecurities come from. Mm-hmm. Do you find yeah. when they build up that confidence that they then feel that they are competent in their life to handle the situations that are going on with their friends and the school around them? Or do you think it's a little bit vice versa? Whereas if they are competent or that they feel competent um, to, you know, talk with a teacher about a problem that they're having, then that in turn gives them the confidence of like, wow, look, I did this. I do think it is competence first. I do think um, that's one of the things that we, you know, we start seeing our kids, like when they're learning how to tie their shoe at five years old, when they're saying, look, I did it. I did it. Uh-huh, uh, yeah. Really proud of themselves or mm-hmm. look, look what I, I did it by myself. I, and so that allows them to feel good. Like I'm capable, I am able, mm-hmm. and it starts to build more and more perseverance and more willingness to kind of try new things and, and see what they can do to be that big boy or that big kid. And so mm-hmm. we, we do know that self-mastery, the more somebody can master whatever, baseball swing, um, developing any kind of skill on their own, doing their homework on their own, reading a book on their own, we do know that all those skills that are developed between 5 and 12 are going to lead to kids being much more comfortable socially and physically and and being a willingness to try more new things because they're sort of desensitized to having all those fears of not trying things. Yeah. It sounds like then that as a parent, um, helping our kids to acknowledge their competence and, and, you know, a few attaboys, girls, not overdoing it, um, but the whole, you know, that was great. Like you you did a good job handling that. Sounds like that's what something small that we could do as a parent that would make a big difference to help boost their confidence by just acknowledging, hey, you know what? I noticed that you did a really great job at that. I I noticed that you handled that very well. You should be proud of yourself, right? Right, right. And and we definitely want to use a lot of positive reinforcement as much as possible. But one Mm -hmm. of the things that the newer studies are showing, you know, before we always wanted to build self-esteem in our kids and we always say, oh, good job, or you're such a smart girl, or you know, we, we would use that kind of language. One of the things that the studies show now is that we want to instead, as parents, be saying something to our kids when our child says, look, mommy, look what I drew. And they say, what, you know, what is that? Oh, my gosh. How, what did that feel like for you to do that? Mm-hmm. It looks like you feel really proud of your work. 
and mm-hmm. really helping them to identify what their feelings are, really ad- helping them identify feeling good about what they're doing, but for them to feel good about themselves. So that way they can start to depend more internally on positive recognition. And they're not going to need a coach or a dad or a teacher to say, add a boy, add a girl, look, good job, or a boss in the future to be able to say, you're doing amazing because not everyone is going to get those kinds of responses, you know, from management or teachers. So to be able to give that to yourself, I think is a really important tool that we have to start shaping in our kids. Yeah, that is actually something I learned from my kids' is pediatrician, like from when they were born. He, his suggestion to me was, to, and he does, did this with his kids, he didn't tell them that he, he was proud of them. He encouraged them to be proud of themselves. And I've mm-hmm. always, I've, you know, I felt a little weird, you know, when I first started doing it, but then it just yeah. became my natural norm. And yeah. every once in a while, they were like, you know, they might say, are you proud of me? And I said, you know what, me being proud of you is not, should not be your goal. It doesn't need to be your goal because I love you no matter what you do. Being proud yeah. of yourself, that's the goal. That's, you know, the golden ticket right there. And as long as you are proud of yourself, you are not, I, I, I remind my kids a lot, you know, I do want you to follow the rules and things that, that I've set around the house here, but you're not put on this planet to please me. Like you are not here. Yeah, it's it's weird. I know it's kind of weird, but it's just it made sense. Because it's a little yeah. backwards. It's different than how we've been programmed or thinking that we're supposed to do it. But I think it is a, I think it's a really important piece that we all have to get used to doing because kids will do anything to get their parents approval, right? You could be 65 years old and still want your daddy's approval, right? (laughs) Amen. Amen. And one thing I have noticed about my kids, all of my boys play baseball. My kids go up to the plate and they do not turn around. They do not look at at me ever or their dad. They do not, they never look at us. They go up there to do a job they're, they're paying attention to the pitcher. They're doing their job. They're trying to get a hit, wherever. They never turn around and look at me like, you know, how did I do? And I'm actually, I am super proud of that because I feel like by never um, telling them, hey, you got to have, you got to have my approval on this. They know that they are competent enough to go up there, hit the ball or not hit the ball, whatever happens, it's on them and it's their accomplishment or it's their failure. And it, and, and it doesn't matter to me either way. Right. I still love them. I'm still in the stands cheering for them. <laughs> regardless. Yeah, it's really great that you could do that. That's really great for you, that you could do that. So that way they know you have that unconditional love and regard, regardless of if they have a good day or a bad day. And I think, um, I think, you know, our kids are afraid. That's part of their insecurities in growing up or going into college and choosing a major is that they're afraid to make mistakes, right? They're, they're, they're afraid. And often, you know, where we live, we often have a lot of parents that don't want to see their kids struggle. And of course, I understand that nobody wants to watch their kids struggle, but we, they do have to have a few little challenges to work through so they can feel proud of that. They have to find ways to know that I, I can have faith or if they have a religious belief that I can trust in God that he's going to help me out or I trust that I'm a good person and good things will happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Because things don't come easily. And if you if you don't have some struggles and then overcome them and realize I, I am competent, I can handle this, then you don't build that confidence that you need. Right. So, and yeah, we know – we know in order to have really successful kids that grow up to be successful adults, you know, whether that's in their careers or their marriage or to just have that nice mental toughness, we know that you have to have grit. And that is one of the most important traits that we have to really establish in our kids because when things get hard, they want to stop. When the homework is a struggle, they want to have a tantrum and say, I can't do it or it's too, it's too much or I'll do it least. And not, and, and, and it's, it would be helpful for us to be able to say as parents, you know, I know you have word problems, but I like this, the way that you're still working on those algebra problems, even though I know you hate it. I like the way you're yeah. tackling it, taking that on <laughs> first, right? Yeah. Because they get the dirty stuff out of the way. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. They're getting they're getting the just uh, the crappy dirty stuff out of the way, and then after that, it's all fluff. Like, oh, I like doing this. Getting the tough stuff out of the way first. 
yeah, that might make you feel more motivated because then I can just cruise and I have the easy stuff later on. We got to keep changing the motivation around for kids. They have to Mm -hmm. find new ways to motivate themselves. Yeah. So one of one of the things that I I had asked you about before we got on the show today, um, for my own curiosity, I was wondering if you felt that today the kids that you see today um, do they feel hopeless? Um, maybe, you know, based on things that are going on in the world, um, they hear a lot of it from their parents, a lot of adults feel hopeless about what things are happening, or are you still seeing that element of a teenager knowing that their whole life is ahead of them and, you know, they're excited about it, even though they might be having some struggles? What what are your thoughts on that? The average teen, you know, as they're growing into that young adulthood, they're going to have um, a lot more of idealistic views, right? They're not, they're going to have much more uh, utopian idealistic views, which is a wonderful thing. But sometimes you might have a child that is uh, depressed and part of depression means you have a certain amount of despair and hopelessness. Like what's the point? Why bother? I give up. Why do I have to do this? And so sometimes with depression and anxiety, you will see some hopelessness. But I think overall, most kids know and and want to be more positive or want to be more goal-oriented. They just struggle with knowing how to do that sometimes because the negative or tricky thoughts in their head really uh, their ability to do so. Yeah. So do you um, do you have any special techniques that you kind of um, work with them if they do have that kind of hopeless attitude? I mean, um, a lot of doctors just want to put people on antidepressants every time there's a problem, right? It's like, no, not really deal with the problem. Let's just give you a pill to fix it in your brain. <laughs> and you know, there's a time and place for medications. You know what I mean? I don't think it's mm-hmm. the first line Definitely. of attack or the first line of treatment. I do think mm-hmm. it's important for everybody to be looking at, you know, what kind of food are we putting into this kid? Because 30% of the food we eat affects your brain and your judgment and your memory and your learning. It looks what kind of exercise are we getting to help elevate the serotonin naturally and actually build you, give you that natural antidepressant of what would be Prozac. And so we have to um, find a lot of different ways to do that. I think a lot of times people have black and white thinking. It's either A or Z, all or nothing. And one of the uh-huh. things in counseling that I really teach them is to really focus on the gray. You told me what your A choice is. And you told me what your Z choice is. But let's talk about what B, C, D, all the way through Y choices are. Maybe we need to find something that's going to be that will fit for you because it doesn't sound like A or Z for you. It's too extreme for you. So helping right. them to sort of think outside that box and and really look at a, a lot of varieties, I think, really helps to build a sense of hopefulness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, tell me a little bit. Let's talk a little bit from your personal experience with your two two teenage girls. What are they sharing with you about their friends and some of the issues that they see going on? Is it anything that's different than what you're seeing in your practice? more of the same um I think to different degrees a little bit more of the same maybe some of the things that they might talk about that I have some other clients say is talking about some of the 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 stressors of having to balance and juggle so much right our our kids have a lot on their plate and um trying to maintain their good grades and participate in soccer and have time for fun to be a kid and have time to do the sleepovers and Netflix binges you know, how to how to really juggle that and still create some balance for self-care and being able to focus on quality of life and really focusing on the things that should matter most, like the people around us or things that allow us to feel love or creating love or giving love to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. How about um, are you seeing much focus um, either towards or away from family time in the teens that you're working with. Like I I remember one of my best friends when I was in high school, every Sunday was their family time and they would usually go to a movie. Um, Now, like if they had a boyfriend, you know, the boyfriend could be invited to go along some weeks, Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't like they couldn't go out with their friends. They couldn't go do stuff like that was their set day of the week that they did some family time together. Um, Do you see any importance for family time in the teens or are we still too (laughs) self-absorbed? 
You know, I, I think it's an important uh, value that the parents really have to start implementing. And, you know, I think some of the, one of the easiest ways to implement that is through dinner time, but with people's sports and people coming home late from work and jobs that teenagers might have, it is hard to schedule that. But the studies do show that if we could be having a sit-down dinner, which doesn't have to be a long time, it could be a 10-minute meal, right? If we can have a sit-down dinner at least three times a week, that we know that that is going to prevent early drug use. We know that's going to prevent, you know, finding other sources of family that are negative, like being in a gang. So we, we know it has a really protective factor. So sometimes, oh, yeah. you know, that's good news. To, it is good news. So, if, you know, it, it, it's just Saturday morning pancakes for some people, right? If they're too busy in the uh-huh. evening, there's ways to do that. But I, I do think it's important for parents to, do, and, and I know we can't force it because our kids have our, their own lives and they have their own friends and those things are important. But I think it's it's not about forcing it like you have to be here for family time. It's more like, no, it's, it's important. You've been busy with soccer. You were at the sleepover. You did these things. It's time for um, us to be together and contribute some time to the family, right? It's about contributing, yeah. whether it's to the chores or contributing to being a part of a family. You don't just get the benefits of getting to go on vacation and the money and the, and the rides and all the stuff and you're not giving. So that's again, part yeah. of that healthy relationship, right? That, that back and forth that, you know, you're part of the family. It's your turn to set the table, right? If you're a part of the family, we need you to take the trash out. So mm-hmm. that way that really helps them to feel a, a belonging and a part of teamwork and a unit so I, I think it's important for kids to know how to behave within a family so that they, way they know how to go out and do that with their employer at the new college, with their new roommates, and all these other new situations where you have to be considerate and have that empathy for other people's feelings. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. And, you know, it's something that you can build upon is um, none of my children are at the point where they're um, driving off by themselves yet. So um, I don't have them leaving the house so much. But I'm yeah. amazed that there's, yeah, there's so many parents that are shocked when I mention how much that we have family dinners. Like when it's baseball season, it's crazy, you know three kids playing on three different teams but if we don't have we don't have baseball on a night we sit down and have dinner together but now the rest of the time um, we have dinner together every night at the table Friday night is dinner and a movie where they can sit in the family room and watch whatever on TV and eat their eat their meal at the floor other than that we sit together um, at the table and we eat and 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 we are um, separated you know, as their parents, like we're not even married anymore, but we have dinner with our kids and people are just always shocked. Like, Oh my gosh, that many times you, a week you sit down and eat together. I'm like, well, yeah. That's a real blessing for your kids to be able to see both of you um, just out of your love for them, be able to be um, amicable and do the family time and really show the value for a family. Cause even if the family is divorced, you could still be a family. You know, you're still well, a family. Yeah, exactly. It's just family in a different form. Yeah, I tell my kids all the time, we're just a family in a different form. And there's so many different forms of family now. There is no one model for what a family does anymore. Um, but, yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said about how you work together as a family to set the table. And, of course, there's always bickering about it. <laughs> yeah. Because that's teenagers for you. It's part of being in a family. That's part of <laughs> but, it's, yeah, it's good to know. I hadn't really heard some of those statistics about, you know, as far as gangs and drugs and all that, how it, it uh, it's a positive attribute to kind of keep them away from that. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so well, let, now that we're kind of talking a little in that direction of bad things, how about um, teen substance abuse? What So what are you seeing in, in the teens that come to you? You know, why are they doing it? Who's abusing? What, you know, who did they learn it from? What kind of stuff are you running so across? The biggest reasons why teens are doing it are some of the same reasons why adults aren't doing it. They're looking for a way to escape. They're looking uh, yep. for a way to numb, to not have to experience feelings of bad feelings or anxiety feelings or worried feelings. They're mm-hmm. looking for a way to kind of quiet their mind and kind of veg out so they don't have to feel like they're struggling. And, mm-hmm. and, and of course, it's, it's, it's hard because, you know, as parents, we also, while we still are social, we might have our social glass of wine with dinners and holiday meals and things like that. 
you know, how we, how we respond when they see us drinking is going to be really important. So I think it's important that parents, you know, don't come home and say, Oh my God, I've had such a bad day. I need a drink. Because <laughs> yeah. As much uh, as you want to say that. <laughs> the wrong example, right. Even though you're thinking it in your head or telling your husband that, right. Uh-huh. So thinking about that, that we're not using that as a way to cope. We're using it as more of, this is something I'm doing to, you know, enjoy with my dinner or my steak or whatever that is. But I think also if kids have too much time on their hands, um, if they're not having a lot of social interactions, and I mean like face-to-face, I know the culture of boys, you could be interacting gaming, you know, with your headset on, but Mm -hmm. that's a big culture of it. But another part is, you know, being around in other activities, being around in sports, having, um, supervision after school like the biggest risk time right we know is from 3 p.m to 6 p.m that's when they're uh-huh. starting to try to smoke pot or experiment with their friends if there isn't enough uh supervision there on the weekends when sometimes we don't always know who are where, where the friends live or who the friends parents are yeah we start to think when they're old enough to walk home by themselves or old enough to drive themselves back and forth to school we start feeling like we're not being needed as much but they always say like this is the time when you are most needed to be around after school with your kids and interacting with them and just, you know, knowing that you were there. there, Right. But of course, every time we're there, they're up in their room and they don't want to interact with us. But I think that kids like to know the idea that they have the option that we're there when we, when they want us and when they need us, (laughs) that we're accessible. Right. Right, right. Um, okay, well, let's talk a little bit, too, about, we kind of touched on this earlier, about the stresses um, for teens for choosing, you know, their college or their major. Do you see a lot of the fear just of making a mistake or, or fear of the future, that leaving home? What, what are you seeing? Yeah, it's definitely both of those, uh, Tracy. It's definitely a fear of making a mistake, a fear of I'm not sure, and a lot of times it's because they haven't had to, a lot of opportunity to really make a lot of decisions and so I think as parents we need to allow our kids to make more decisions and experience a couple little bumps and little mistakes that are doable while they're at home before they go off to college right that you know when you run out of gas okay how are you going to call AAA or you know when you're not how to do certain things on your own so that way they're not at such a loss when they're away from us at home and, and now that we have, everybody has a cell phone, one of the things that um, teens struggle with is that they don't really know how to problem solve as well. You know, if there's a problem, they just call mom right away and find it. How do I do this? Or, You're late two minutes. Where are you, mom? When I remember, you have to wait 25, 30 minutes if my mom was late after school. And Amen to that. <laughs> so they, our kids don't know how to deal with that frustration and and, and deal with that piece. So, you know, they, they can deal with some of that. I think we as parents have to set some boundaries and say, you know, I'm not available right now. Or, hey, I'm only available to help you until 8 o'clock. If you choose to not hit the homework quick, quickly right after school at 4, then that's on you because mom is has her wind down time too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've had, I've had to start to say to my oldest one, um, you know what, I'm going to bed. Like, I know you like to be tucked in, but you waited too long to start that homework and it's taking too long and I'm tired. I got to go to work tomorrow. Good night. Love you. Tuck yourself in. You know, it's right. kind of like, you know, it's not that I don't want to, but <laughs> you stayed up past my bedtime. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. We want to let them make a couple more mistakes while they have their first teenage job, right? Let the boss tell them, no, you need to be here on time. We want them to make mistakes with, like, for not forgetting to do a homework assignment because they didn't write it in their daily planner. We want them to take those natural consequences that are going to have to come with that so they see how to work through it and are more motivated. Um, We just can't be enabling our kids too much. We want to be nurturing and available, but we can't be enabling and and allowing them, causing them actually to be disabled because Mm -hmm. we're taking away those capabilities. Because if we take away those capabilities, we're taking away their ability to be building self-esteem as well. Right, right. We're we're not teaching them to be competent and to be adults that aren't going to be back on our doorstep at the age of 32. Right. And it's hard yeah. for parents. Parents want to, you know, double check every day. Did I do your homework? Do we do the homework? And by middle school, yeah. by the end of middle school, they, the kids should be able to be working independently on their homework using their daily planner, 
um, daily, not trusting their memory to remember these things. Because if they don't have that hardwired by the time they're finishing up eighth grade, they're going to really struggle in high school. And so yeah, we want them to see that the consequences of those things. Yeah, I, I find that today's high school teachers treat students the way college professors taught me, treated me. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just such a higher level of responsibility that right. that they are expecting. And it, in a way, it's unfair because the brain hasn't changed, right? Just because times have changed doesn't mean that the um, maturity of the brain has. They're still growing and developing, but they're being treated at a much higher level as far as maturity and what's expected of them than ever was when we were that age. So they've got a high, I think they have a high hurdle to, it would be um, hard to be a teen yeah. again. Uh, again. I totally agree. I think um, from 16 to 22, 23, 24 is a time when our brain is still developing. And so that's why they're so impulsive and that's why they're so moody and all those, all those things. But to, to be fair to teachers who have, I think that the second hardest job in the world outside of being a mom is that they, you know, they do have sometimes a feeling that people, kids don't really care unless they're showing participation by emailing them or saying, what could I do to bring my grade up or asking questions and participating. So I think it's important to teach our kids how to be communicating and building that relationship. If you're late, how could you email your teacher to say, I care about this, but when's the latest I could turn that in? So that way they have to start working with that. We can't have the parents be calling and emailing the teachers, right? Because then they don't know how to how to negotiate that and how to compromise and how to talk and work through those. That's mm-hmm. a delicate dance we play too. I, I, it's very simple for one of my two, two of my kids really, but my kid that I'm finding is, has a, um, that is truly an empath. It is so difficult for him to face to face speak to one of his teachers. And I'm just now learning just how difficult it is for him. So we're really talking with him saying, okay, email just might be your way. And now that you're, yeah. you're going to be coming into high school. Yeah. You should, it's probably going to be a good thing for you because they kind of want you to, you know, talk to them through email. They don't really have time in class. So this is going to have to be your form of communication and it's going to help you to not have that uncomfortableness, but yet you still got to take care of your business. And so and, and you got it. It's a good idea to role play with your kids too. You know, to say mm-hmm. if they say, "Well, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say." Let's brainstorm together, kid. Oh, and let's think yeah. of what you could say. Right? Let's talk about yeah. that. Or you pretend you're the teacher and I'm you, and and let's talk about what are some ways that you can handle that. Oh, my mom used to coach me through that. My mom was a a businesswoman, and she used to coach me through. I'd call and make, like, my own dentist appointments and stuff like that, and she'd be like, well, say this, you know, and she'd coach me through it, and I'd have a speech. She'd be like, well, go ahead, you know, I'll, I'll sit here and listen, and I'll give you some tips, and I would practice my speeches in front of her. She was such a help. Um and and it was difficult, right? Because I just want to be like, come on, mom, can't you just call and like make the dentist appointment for me? But good lord, I am very confident as an adult. <laughs> and you're a great and it writer, is, and you're, you have great of ability yeah. to talk and to share and to connect with people as a result of that. Right, right. And I tell kids all the time, you know, I'm like, you can, I can, I thank your grandma for that every day because what she taught me, you know, as a teenager immensely helped me as an adult and um, she'll still do it to this day. She'll go, well, honey, you know, when she's visiting, she'll be like, well, why don't you do it? And I just laugh. I'm like, okay, mom, (laughs) when she's totally capable of doing something, but she's still got that part of her going, well, why don't you call and do that? All right, mom, I'll call and take care of it. (laughs) Some things never change. That's true. That is true. Yeah, who we are. Um, well, let me ask you real quick because we just have probably a few minutes left in the show. Let's talk about um, the EQ, a little emotional intelligence, since we we're kind of in that area. Um, yeah. Have you seen anything evolve over the years as far as teens really being able to recognize what they're feeling, where these emotions are coming from, so that to help themselves understand? Or what are you seeing? You know, when I when I think about EQ, emotional intelligence, I, I think about um, that's the ability to be people smart, the ability to know, you know, if someone's really upset, how do you talk with them, the ability to, to read their body language and hear the tone in their voice so kids can recognize, you know, what's an appropriate time to say something or how's a better way to phrase something so someone can be able to hear it more. Mm-hmm. So, but... But it, it sounds like your your definition of that is a little bit 
different. But I do think, you know, in, in counseling, it's always about talking about different feelings. And sometimes a lot of parents might say to their kids, you know, well, what are you feeling? Well, kids don't always know. They know, you know, happy, angry, glad, mad, but they don't always know. So sometimes it's helpful for us to make comments like, you look really upset right now, or your face is looking really sad. Do you, you know, you want to tell me what's going on or is there something I can do to support you with that? Right. So we can help them be able to connect the dots on what they're experiencing because they're not going to have that insight yet until, you know, again, more like 16 to 23. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think along with that, if they're, if they can recognize it in themselves, then when they see it in that other person, that you know they recognize that look on their face or that reaction but why are they reacting mm-hmm. like that oh wait a minute okay that's kind of how i was feeling when this happened so she must be feeling you know hurt and left out because i remember you know looking that same way or, or having that same kind of reaction to so and so when i felt left out so I guess, I mean, it's kind of um, almost a chicken and the egg. What comes first? If you understand your own emotions, can then does that make it easier for teens to understand their friends and the parents, or is it kind of the other way around? Yeah, every kid is so different. I think it's going to be a combination of all of those factors and their life experiences and their genetic predisposition, you know, or do they really, you know, some kids, some families might not have that ability to do that. So how do we teach them to be able to be empathetic and recognize that because we know if they have that skill, they're going to be more able to be responsive to others. They're going to be more able to connect with other people. Um, and they're going to have more satisfying relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Okay. Well, before I let you go, since you do have two teenage daughters of your own, let yeah. me ask you, how, how do you talk spirituality to your girls? You know, the way, you know, since the kids were little, I remember being, the girls being, you know, two, three, four, and five. One of the things that I would always say to them is talking to them about being beautiful on the inside. You know, not just the outside in your cute princess dress or with your hair, but being beautiful on the inside. That means you're sharing. That means you're being helpful. That means you're being kind-hearted. That, you know, so really, I really stress about being beautiful on the inside. And so sometimes when there's those mean girl shows, high school shows on TV, I do still send a comment and say, wow, she sure isn't beautiful on the inside, or she's beautiful on the outside, but I don't know about the inside. And it's just so they know that. So they so uh-huh. they know about how, how to be. And um, every night, you know, when we have our dinner time, we always say our prayers. And um, I'm a really, really big um I'm really, it's really important to me for gratitude. So I always convey gratitude on a daily basis for whatever good things, minor things, even if it's just the sunset or my ability to take breath, really being Mm -hmm. able to share that to my kids so they can be able to recognize and be mindful and present every day and, and sit in gratitude for their world. And um, another important way that spirituality has been really great for our family is being able to get the kids involved and doing different kind of volunteer work. So, uh-huh. you know, sometimes through the Girl Scouts, it was, you know, working at the homeless women's shelter, serving them breakfast. And there's been times that we've been on vacation. Um, one of our last vacations in Costa Rica was visiting the orphanage and building, uh-huh. you know, bringing fun things and making Christmas cards over there and Christmas ornaments and really having that spirit of giving um, of, of loving others, loving the world, you know, and so I, I think that is a big part of what God is for me and for our family. God is love, and if we can show our love every day um, to one another and to the world and to causes that we think are important for us, um, then I think that's the way to go. Oh, that's some great ideas. That's some beautiful ideas. I love to hear that. Um, because, you know, when it, when your kid's having a bad day and or they're mad that you won't allow them to do that, say, you know what, I know you're really ticked off at me right now, but you could show a little gratitude that you got this going on over here, you know. <laughs> Always remember, it could be worse. That's right. That's right. And then, you know, when they're, you know, when they're when I could see that they're struggling or they're going through a difficult time, I always tell them, you know, have your, have talk to God, ask for God to give you that strength, right? Ask God to give you answers to those things. Talk to him. He's always going to be there. 
And, um, and I think they're able to do that on their own. And my oldest daughter, who's 17, has really spent a lot of time lately going into different youth groups. And I think that's giving her a lot of connection, a lot of ways to share that with her peers, I think is most important for spirituality with their kids because they see other kids doing it and they want to be a part of that. And they know it feels loving and grounding and it feels good. And so it, that really helps. Well, that is beautiful. Marilyn, thank you so much for joining me today. Real quick, because we have a few seconds left, do you want to share your website for listeners? Sure, sure. My website is MarilynViera.com, M-A-R-I-L-Y-N-V-I-E-R-A. And you could also find me on Instagram for my young adults and college and teen students. Uh, Marilyn Viera, LCSW is my Instagram and I also have a couple of things on Pinterest that have some ways to cope with feelings and some self-help tools. And then, of course, I'm also on Facebook, Marilyn Vera LCSW. Well, thank you again. And everyone, thank you for joining us for Spiritual Teen Talk this week. Um, see you next time. Um, and again, namaste. Thanks, namaste. Marilyn. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.